brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade, and thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by Baseballism, the official off-the-field brand of baseball. We're offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona, just in time for spring training. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% off. And we're really excited to have Baseballism. And you're going to see Baseballism on future Baseball America Facebook Lives as well. Very happy to have them as the calendar turns to February. And we continue to wind down with our Top 10 Prospects podcast, JJ. We started these as soon as the postseason ended and been going strong, especially in November January, now February, December, <laughs> the, the, that pesky prospect handbook uh, stepped in. It takes a long time. But believe me, believe me, believe me, <laughs> that phrase has lost all meaning to me. But if you want to order the prospect handbook and get it before anybody else gets it, believe me, today is the last day to do that. That's a subtle hint. If you want to get it first, get it directly from us, store.baseballamerica.com or 800-845-2726. From nine to six Eastern time as uh, the time to call and ask for Ronnie by name. Um, but JJ, that, that means it's an exciting time for us. We're working for the top 100. Top 100 comes out Friday, February 10th, nine o'clock Eastern time, MLB Network. Um, that is uh, that, that will really be the end of prospect season and the opening of Wabbit season. Well, no, really, it's kind of draft actually, season. Really, but it actually works out how well timed it is. Friday. We roll out the top 100, and then we'll have a lot of content online Monday and Tuesday as well. But the reality of this is, that's Friday, and then here you have what happens over the weekend, the start, really, of the major push for the 2017 season, because here's college baseball. That's right, yeah, February 17th, know, opening day of college baseball I know season. we have junior college baseball going on, D2 <laughs> starting, you know, and trust me, I'm well aware, because I'm... That's kind of one of my little, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in Juco ball today. But February D1 s- baseball begins. The Division One season begins right basically timed with this top one. Yeah, February 2nd is Groundhog Day. That's also, also the day that J.J. comes out of his rabbit hole from whence he came for the small colleges. So, uh, But he also has been uh, reporting extensively on Cincinnati Reds prospects for a long time. And I ran a when poll I- at uh, John Manuel B.A. on my Twitter feed of, which NL Central team do you want to podcast on today? The Reds won a late push. I thought the Brewers were going to win that, but uh, Brewers, Pirates, and Reds were to, to finish up the NL Central. We're going to knock out the Reds today. And, J.J., you've been reporting on the Reds since, uh, you know, when was their first Reds top 30? Was it 2006? Jay Bruce, I think, was the first-round pick the first time I did it. Well, that's a 2005 draft. So Because I think I'm pretty sure it was – uh, the first one I did, it may have been actually the year before that, because the first one Homer? I did was the, you were still in the very last 
vestiges of the wow this system doesn't have much of anything that was back when like william bergoya was a prospect for the reds and now i see william bergoya like in the directory as i'm editing the directory has like a minor league coach for somebody phil, phil dumatrait oh um, wow you know joey Votto was in the system homer bailey was in the system but then there was was it rafael gonzalez what was the name of the there was a big thick right-hander who had excellent stuff questionable body and makeup. He was a top 10 prospect that year. And like the write-up in the top yeah, no say. for the prospect was, it was something along the lines of, yeah, there's about a 75% chance that this guy's never going to be anything, but he does have a stuff that's close to equal to Homer Bailey that all comes together. It didn't come together. It was writing up, now I think player, player coach Miguel Perez for the Pirates uh, catcher who was at the time uh, hmm. like, Hey, this guy could be a backup catcher. Top 10. Well, 2004 was the last year. 2003, November 2003 is the last time you didn't do it because Josh Boyd did it that year. So, yeah, the next year. Top prospect, Ryan Wang Wagner. Number two, Edwin. Edwin Encarnacion. Yeah. So, still uh, playing, still, you know, still significant. Yes. So. But, no, it's been a long time, and you've seen basically uh, – that was, again, if you go back to then, and I know there's a lot of Reds fans who probably don't remember this now, but that was the time when – being a high school pitcher drafted by the Reds meant that your shoulder was going to explode literally as you signed your, your name to the contract. It was like, well, okay, it's, it's done. It's amazing how Mac Jenkins really became the pitching coordinator and the, uh, I forget under whose administration, was that Dean Taylor? Was he general? No, that was, the, that was Milwaukee. No, it was Dan O'Brien. Dan O'Brien, yeah. Dan O'Brien Jr. And then, was and general then, manager. And then kind of through the Wayne Krisky years, which again, yeah. if you want to, I will go back and say, if you want to talk about a guy who surprisingly has never gotten another shot, I think it's hard to argue that Wayne Krinsky really did a poor job with the Reds. I feel like that that was it was during Krinsky's time a lot of the foundation for what in 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 essence is going to be remembered as a disappointingly impressive, but never it never came together for team. But you know, you know this Reds team that. See, that, that's a different I, – I view it completely differently. I, it's not World Series or bust for me for any – Right. But, no, I mean, but I'm saying – You want to win it. You but. Wanna, but you do want to win – if they had just made a deeper run in the playoffs. But they were – this was a homegrown team that ended up being very successful, and then their window ended up being shortened, unfortunately for them, by injuries. And then – And the Cardinals. And the Cardinals. The, <laughs> they were in a very good division. Yeah. But then I do think the other thing you can say is is that, and this is not a bad problem to have, but they had I do believe and it's, I think it starts at the top with the ownership. There was it was something where it was very hard for them to let go of no 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 this team we're going to do it, and they made moves to try to stretch that window out and it didn't work and in in hindsight really what that did is that it meant that when the crash came, the crash came harder. And really, the, the city of Cincinnati and postseason success are just not synonymous. Not in the 21st century. We had no. a Bengals fan we were talking to the other day. Who was the Bengals fan? That it was, was one of our intern It was an intern candidate. That was it. It was like, wait a minute, a Bengals fan? That's really, you don't meet too many of those. But a Bengals, the Bengals and the Reds, both these franchises have had regular season success, JJ, and some stars. Um, but but like said, the, the Reds really... When they were having the, their, their successful run, I guess it was, what, 2012 they were our organization of the year, I believe? I think that was the year. Um, and that was a year where they won 97 games, won the division, but lost the division series. So they've made the playoffs three times 
in that peak from 2010 through 2013. But the 2013 when Votto got hurt. In 2014, they got Votto got hurt, but they kept the band together for one more year. Do you think they would have done that if they weren't hosting the All Star Game? I, I think there that is year? something to be said for the All Star Game curse. I really do. I think that you see that you're going to see it this year with the Marlins. If you have a team that really needs to rebuild, but they have the All Star Game coming, no one ever wants to be completely in the 60 win range right. when they're hosting an All Star Game. No one does. And so you saw that. The reality of it is is that what happened, I do think, with this Reds team, and we'll move on to where the Reds are going pretty quickly, but they were a very – and I do think you see this with a lot of clubs that, you know, there's the stars and scrubs approach. Joey Votto is their star, and they gave Joey Votto a massive contract, one that so far – Again, at some point, there's going to be a pain to it. But so far, right. he has lived up to that contract in every way. The reality is, is that he's actually in no way, in any way, shape, or form, been the problem. They also, you know, the Brandon Phillips contract, that's hurt them a little bit more. But the big problem they've had is, is that they have had so much money when they were trying to can remain contenders, mm -hmm. tied up in a few players, that when a Joey Votto got hurt, like he did in 14, Brian Pena was the first baseman there. <laughs> When they haven't, when they haven't had, they've had to kind of go on the cheap to fill in these holes, and a lot of times that hasn't worked. And understandably, I mean, the reality is, is when you are trying to paper over some of your your lesser spots, and again, injuries do play a part in this. I mean, they kind of need no for this question. team to have been successful. They needed Joey Votto and Devin Mesoraco and Homer Bailey and these guys. These are where the money's tied into, and Brandon these guys Phillips. need to be healthy. Yeah, Brandon Phillips. They needed him to not age, which they needed he did. him to just not be Brandon Phillips. Basically, they needed him to be the best version of Brandon Phillips. Right. That's, that's the problem. And so all this goes together. The tough thing about that is, though, is is that they also have had at times. I mean, we've talked about it before, but that that Aroldis Chapman trade is is truly the most horrendous timing you could ever make to to trade Aroldis Chapman. Oof, that was a bad trade. That, Trading, they, they traded Aroldis Chapman at the time where Aroldis Chapman, the only time in Aroldis Chapman's career so far where he did not have significant trade value because there was the cloud of, is he going to be suspended? There it was, was the one time. They picked it. There was the stain of this guy is, you know, basically being investigated for a domestic violence allegation. We don't know where this is going to go. Well, there wasn't. There was no order coming from MLB saying, Cincinnati, you have to get rid of Aroldis Chapman at this point. They could have sat on him and said, we're going to wait till we know what the suspension is. Yeah. And they were sitting in, this was not a situation, they were sitting in a situation where the unknown for them actually was not much of a risk from a, from a standpoint looking out from the outside. Because if Aroldis Chapman was handed some massive suspension, it would have meant that he would not have hit free agency at the end of the year. Right. So you would have said, hey, you got another we'll, year of we will, we've got another year him. of him, and we can next offseason trade him. If it was a light suspension, a small suspension, then you know if you're after that's announced, then you could say as you're trading him, you could say, you're going to get you know five months of Aroldis Chapman before free agency. Mm -hmm. There's value to that, just a contender. Instead, they traded him when it was, and I do think as that— As Brian Cashman called him, a distressed asset— and again, I think that comes back to generally when trades like that are made, it's like it's like that's an owner order trade. That is, we have to get him. We do. And hey, if you right. want to, if you want to give credit to the Reds, because 
they said, you know what, we do not want someone on our team who is being investigated for domestic violence. Okay, kudos, but here's the thing about that. That doesn't, <laughs> that is something where just have to face the facts, the reality of it is in baseball, there are other teams out there who will say the stain of that of acquiring someone under that investigation, yeah. that doesn't lose us games. I mean, the other trade that bothers me the most they've made is the Jay Bruce trade. I mean, they still had, teams had a year and a half of control on Jay Bruce. They had some, you know, he had a little bit more value and was less distressed. I know he wasn't playing great, but he was hitting for power this year. When they traded him to the Mets, they didn't get much for him. Well, they didn't get I, much at all, J.J. I, I will say on that one, though, the difference is, is that whereas Aroldis Chapman, we've seen, Aroldis Chapman turned around maker. and the Yankees were able to get a prospect who is so far beyond the four players that the Reds got for Aroldis Chapman. Glaber Torres is at a different, a different level. He's one of the top prospects in the game. That's the kind of guy you want to get in a trade for Aroldis Chapman. Jay Bruce, the Mets right now would love love, love to trade Jay Bruce for a reasonable package. And there doesn't seem to be one out there. Jay Bruce, I do think, fits into this. Right. He I very mean, much fits into this, the Trumbo, Chris Carter. Right. Those guys don't, like, Jay Bruce, young Jay Bruce, who had defensive value and could run and all those things, was a multiverse. It was a very useful, versatile player. Right. But, he, then, but he still, I mean, I, I do think, I think that's true for the offseason. But at the time, when they were contenders, there weren't a ton of big bats being dealt. And he's a big bat. I mean, he's not a three-hole hitting bat. He is a five-hole hitting bat. He had 25 home runs in 97 games when they traded him, J.J. He's a pretty consistent power hitter. I mean, Just he's limited. Average. Correct. And he doesn't walk a ton. This year was the best average he'd had for several years. So his value actually had gone up. And they didn't get much for him. I right. mean, I, I guess where we would disagree on that is I think they got about on that, about the value. I, I think that. Seriously, a fringe second baseman and Dilson Herrera and a lottery ticket, low A, not even full season high school lefty. I know That's, that sounds crazy, but again, what he's still a Met right now. Dan like, Vogelbach, JJ, got Mike Montgomery. Come on, man. I mean, come on, man. They could, oh. I think they sold very low. I think they've made a very poor trade. I think they've made. In general, poor trades in these. And I think Bruce, not as bad a trade as Chapman, but he had more value. You're right about the value of corner bats is down right now. Jason Stark wrote that very well. If all you bring to the table is power, you're not as valuable as you were 10 years ago. But he ain't that bad. I, yeah, I thought that was a pretty bad I, trade. I, 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 He's going to play for the Mets. He's going to play every day for the Mets this year. First base they, or right field. But, but partly because they literally, it does not appear that they can trade him. Well, the other part of it is that he, they didn't have a good year last year to Michael Conforto, and we that, prefer Michael Conforto, right, still, but Terry Collins doesn't. So, I mean, that, that's, that's not that, just that Jay Bruce, he doesn't suck. He's not a well-rounded player, but he has he has value more than the Reds got for him. I, I, I'm, you're not going to budge me on that one. Okay, I feel they listen, really we, fouled we, we that did, up. We, we disagree on that one. I do think... Do you think Dilson Herrera is going to be a Red when they're good again? I think there's a chance. I think that the problem right now, the Reds have right now at this moment, is is that the the infield that they should field in 2017 is both is blocked. Now, one of those I think is going to clear up pretty easily. Like Zach Cozart, I, I would imagine that Zach Cozart is in his final days as a Red because logically, I understand where you say like we're going to demonstrate his health, right? All that. He's 31 years old. But you, but I, I would be not shocked at all if Zach Cozart, they're kind of waiting for a shortstop to go down. 
they're waiting for there to be a situation like the worked out for the Cardinals. But the Cardinals, you know, last spring training, when they were looking around and going, who's going to be our shortstop? And we don't really have a good answer for that. They're waiting for a situation like that potentially yep. to say, okay, hey, how about Zach Cozart? And then all of a sudden you, you find out whether Jose Peraza can play shortstop or not, which is what they should do. What they Correct. should do is find out there's no if, – if Jose Peraza can't play shortstop, find that out in 2017. Yes. At second base – Because I think, we, I think we both think Jose Peraza can be a regular for them, whether it's shortstop or second base. And I think or maybe he's a – he could be one of these uh, Zobris-esque, you know, utility player – Who's a regular but plays the, the, exactly the way you talk about it. a guy who plays second, some short, maybe fills in at third, center outfield field. spots. And the thing about it is, is what also is interesting with that is, is again, I do not know the problem you do have with this Reds team right now. It's is if you ask me what is who are the core players in the next successful Reds team, I feel like I've got a couple of answers that are pretty confident. Joey Votto, yes, because well they don't have a choice. It's a no trade clause. Also, he's, and he's incredible, under, and he's and he is he is he's the best first baseman the Reds have ever had. Right, and it's not close. Right, and I'm sorry. He, he has higher career WAR with the Reds than Tony Perez does. And again, I, I put out the stat. Basically, again, on bases and everything. But if Joey Votto went over pretty much the next year and a half, he'd still have a higher on base percentage. I think it was two years. Then it was a long time. It was it for, was jarring. And again, Joey Votto's. I know he is on a team that is not as successful as the Big Red Machine. I get that. But Joey Votto is one of the best players who's ever worn a Reds uniform. And he's still producing at the prime of his career. And the thing is about that, you know, Tony Perez has a career 341 on base. In other words, his career on base isn't bad. This isn't like a guy who's <laughs> got a 290. This, especially a guy who played in the 60s and 70s. Right. That is perfectly fine. This is that Joey Votto has a 425 career on base, which is the highest on base percentage of any active player. So, I mean, like, Edgar Martinez had a 418 on base. That is the whole basis, basically, of his Hall of Fame case. Is that it's a top 20 all-time hall, uh, uh, on base percentage. And Joey, Joey Votto's is, like, seven points higher. I right. mean, it, that's how good Joey Votto is. For people who can't recognize that, it really makes me sad. Again, it doesn't, because it, it, it just means that you just don't get baseball. And for someone who's watched a lot of baseball, I get there's more to it than on base percentage. But this guy isn't Edgar Martinez. But he also, he's better. He, he plays. I mean, Edgar he's Martinez, a good first baseman. Edgar Martinez is a perfectly good Hall of Fame case. Joey Votto is so much better than Edgar Martinez. And people, I don't think people today recognize it because there are a lot of other good first basemen. But like, you talk about big league first baseman, <laughs> and Paul Goldschmidt usually comes up. Freddie Freeman had a great year last year. Tell me the other obvious ones. Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo. Joey Miguel, Votto Miguel is... Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera is the best one. He's one. He, he but is, Joey Votto is 1A. He Honestly, he's 1A. He's not Cabrera because no one's Cabrera. And he doesn't have Cabrera's that, power. Right. We've talked to scouts about it. Cabrera's an 8 and an 8. 8 hitting grade, 8 power grade. I mean, like, that guy, I hope they've already started making his stinking plaque. Miguel Cabrera is is so good, and if you don't appreciate how good Miguel Cabrera is, let's put it this way, Miguel Cabrera is freaking trending to have a better career than Albert Pujols. Boom. That is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That's how good Miguel Cabrera is. And Joey Votto is like, he's like an eight-hit, seven-power. That's the only difference, JJ. He doesn't consistently hit 30 home runs a year. His peak is 37. He's never hit 30 another year. Because he draws so many walks. Right. Cabrera is 8'8". 
Votto's 8-7. So we know but Votto is, and he's 32, uh, played his, and this will be his age 33 season. He actually has just turned 33 last year. He doesn't show signs of slowing down, though, J.J. This guy seems like he's going to be good, even if it takes three or four years for the Reds to be contenders. He's the core guy. He's the core guy. Nick Senzel, number one. Sorry for my Votto rant. That's all right. But sometimes I just don't realize, even myself, how stinking good that guy is. He's he's a core guy. Nick Senzel, number one prospect on this list, should be a core guy. And we want Nick to email or call in and tell us how to pronounce his name, because I love calling him Senzel as if it rhymes with Denzel. But So you've got those two. I'll Tennessee prep class of 2013. I know. You have to. <laughs> contractually obligated yes. to do that. This broadcast is brought to you by baseballism and by the Tennessee prep class of 2013. <laughs> um, but uh, but beyond that, who are the other guys? I That's mean, like, the problem. And the, Homer Bailey, you hope. Because the thing about it is, is Homer Bailey, pre-TJ, just had gotten to that point where it wasn't always consistent. Right. But he'd finally reached close to his, what you hoped his peak would you be. You saw the dominance, though. Yeah. Homer Bailey. Oh, no, he's had two no hitters, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> Homer Bailey at his best is a guy who you go, you have no chance tonight. Right. Now, That's right. he needs to be more consistent with that. But if you told me that Homer Bailey makes it back from TJ, you know, with no problems, and he is a front end starter, you know, front end rotation, okay, you can live with that. He was never as good as Cueto, who they had, you know, who's gone now. But back to back years, he threw over 200 innings, 110 ERA plus in that span, a 364 FIP. I mean, he was a perfectly good number two starter. Right. Ideally, you have Cueto and him, but you... Okay, so you have Homer Bailey. You hope... They have a lot of starting pitching prospects. You hope, whether it's Cody Reed or Robert Stevenson mm-hmm. or Amir Garrett mm-hmm. or Sal Romano or... Tony Santian, Tyler Molly. They have depth right. of prospects. You hope that one... You, you're going to have enough of a rotation. Anthony DiSclafini is a perfectly... You are happy to have him in your rotation. You don't want him at the... Start, you know, he's not the guy you want pitching game one of a playoff series, but right. you want him, you are perfectly happy having him in your rotation. Yes. They have the potential. Brandon Finnegan. Brandon. Again. I, think he, I think he's a piece when they're good again. I'm not sure that it's a starting piece. But it's, and again, they but have. But it could be a closing piece. But they also have the potential to have a, a really good bullpen. Now that they are having this idea of, okay, we're going to use Lorenzen and we're going to use Rizel Iglesias in yeah. kind of. You know, in, in lengthier stints, but like you trying them. to build a bullpen like you're the other team that you've done for so long, the Royals. Right. So you do that again. Vladimir Gutierrez, either yeah. as a starter or as a reliever, can yeah. pretty quickly fit into that. You have these pieces where you say, okay, that's a plausible path. The tough part of it, though, is is they still have to figure out is Billy Hamilton, who is exceptional defensively, is as good as it gets on the bases. And last year it was mildly acceptable offensively. He is, he is uh, on the big league roster, he's the guy who's most li- next most likely among position players after Votto to be a regular when they're good again. I mean, just if he just gets, if he has a couple of years where he, where he can do what he did the second half just, last year. Just, over yeah, full if, again, if you're talking, if he's literally just giving you a very light. 325, 330 on base. This is 320 last year. 321. Right. You want, I mean, a light 330, 340 if you dream. <laughs> yeah. Is. I, I think that's reasonable. I mean, he's because, only 25. Because again, you are talking about defensively the value he gives you in center, the value he gives you on the bases, all that. So you have that. And then you really do. You have a lot of sorting out to do. You hope that Devin Mezarak, but 
Devin Mesoraco has had at this point has had one year yeah. where he was cornerstone he, catcher. He has more experience the last couple of years being a special assistant to the scouting director, helping out in the draft room, than he has catching some of their young arms. I mean, that's you know you you, you hope that Devin Mesoraco is part of it. You can't count on him. It is though. It does give you some hope for some of their other prospects, JJ, like a guy like a Tyler Stevenson who had a rough year last year. Yeah, that, so did Devin Mazzarocco had some of that in the minor, low minors Absolutely. too, but the Reds have experience with that. So let's dive into this list. Yeah. Like you said, we think Nick Senzel can be a keystone piece. One of our Twitter questions today is, is there a comp for Nick Senzel? I'm not sure that you used uh, a comp in the, uh, in the handbook, but Chris Stevens asks on Twitter, Tercet86 is his at, what's a reasonable comp for Nick Senzel? And the thing is, it's, he's, he, he was tough to peg all spring in terms of a comp because he seems like he's more like, again, uh, like I, I was, there's second, he's a second baseman slash third baseman. Now he's like a third baseman slash second baseman. I think he's a third baseman for the Reds. Yeah. I think he's going to be a plus defender at third base, but that's not why they drafted him number two overall. They drafted him first bat. The, th- the thing that's tough when I'm trying to think of a comp for him is, is I'm trying to think of those guys who are – Really plus defenders at third, and good enough there that I'm really it keep my brain keeps coming back to guys who played a little bit of like fill in shortstop in the minors. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Senzel's even going to do that, but like a guy like that. So and I'm old now, so the guys that come to my mind when I think of that are guys who I don't think of him being like. He's not like Troy Gloss, who was good enough at third right. to slide over there. He's not like. Uh, Travis Friedman, who right. was good enough to slide over and play a little bit of short. I think he's actually somewhat he's not like, like Hojo. He's I think right. he's a little bit like Friedman in some ways. Cause it's, but I think the hit tool is right. more hit and less power. I agree. Um, Honestly, what I think if there's a player who you compare him to as an amateur, in some ways I don't like making this comp because it's a right hand, left hand. But Kyle Seeger was hit over power, and everyone doubted the power. And, and Kyle is, Seeger just hit 30 bombs last year. And he's been very consistent. He's a $100 million player. We've had this discussion in the office. If you ask me, we're, gonna, we're getting ready to put scouting grades on all these guys. Yeah. We, put, you know, we, put, we did it when we put out the number ones, but we also will do it in the uh, top 100. Yeah. And if you ask me which guy in the top 100 am I think it's most likely to greatly exceed the power grade that we give him, Nick Senzel could be that guy. Because uh, you know who the other guy is, JJ? Anthony Rendon. Mm-hmm. That's actually a, a That's quite a comparable player because Anthony Rendon, when healthy, was thought to be the best position college position player in his draft class in 2011, and he's had big league success. I mean, even this year, in a you know somewhat down year for him, he had basically an 800 OPS with 20 home runs, and he's a very good defender who I've seen play shortstop in the major leagues. There we go. And I, I think like that's that. Nick Senzel. I, I like think, that. I, and I don't think people think of Senzel as Rendon, but I think he actually is. Fairly comparable to him. I like that a lot. Yeah, and, and it's I hit over that in the top hundred. It's it's hit over power. I I I I'm pretty happy with myself for coming up with it. So good question. But Chris but again, Stevens, you contributed to our coverage. But I do think one of the things about this is is that if you ask who are the guys who do, it doesn't always happen. I mean, the reality of this is like I can think back. Sean Burroughs was always a guy who was thought that the hit right. was going to turn into power. Right. Never did. Joe Maurer, I know we had it like that one year, but the reality is is that when Joe Maurer was a minor leaguer, it was always the thought was 
the hit is going to turn into 70 power down the road. I remember the Will Kimmy writing in his minor league player of the year story that, you know, he hits a lot of ground balls. That was a big question. He hit a lot of ground balls. And guess what? As a big leaguer, he's hit he a lot a of lot ground of balls. balls. I do think, though, that – but there are – Seager is a great example. Kyle Seager is a great example of a guy who – Damn Kyle. Who, who basically – the hit leads to power. In other words, really, Nick Senzel, Senzel is a guy I think the hit will lead to power. And let's be honest, playing where he's going to be playing, <laughs> it, right. yeah, is really going to help. That. It could very well be some of those years where he hits twenty home runs at home and six on the road. Yeah, you know, and the Reds might live with that as long as on the road he hits for average. Oh, absolutely, because it could be where he's hitting three ten to but go with that twenty. He's basically the opposite of a player as Todd Frazier. I mean, yes. like he's really kind Although of. Although Todd Frazier was a guy also who played a little shortstop. He played shortstop in college, yes. and then even in the low minors. Now the Reds, JJ, in recent years, it's been noticeable, especially in last year's handbook. It was really noticeable that that was an organization that the prospects were almost all on the pitching side. This year's draft seemed to address that in a big way for Cincinnati. Right, because Senzel is a huge, and then Taylor Trammell. They went, and then and really their top four bonuses were position players. That's Nick Senzel, Taylor Trammell. Uh, those kind of rhyme to me. And then uh, uh, Chris Oakey, who the Reds really liked out of high school, almost had a pre-draft deal with Chris Oakey before he decided to go pay thirty a year and, and go to Clemson. I think his grandfather helped start Ipte back when it was I paid. And by the way, and Chris Oakey, you want to talk about a guy who. A, a college baseball stalwart. Chris Oakey, like, last year with Clemson. He never had to look at the lineup guard. Right. And if you were the backup catcher for Clemson, at the start of the game, you could take all your gear and just put it in the bullpen. Exactly. Because you were not like, I'm not going over there. I, Chris Oakey, every – I mean, this again, in, this, in the modern era, this is not something that would be shocking back in 1970 or whatever. But in the right. modern era – Chris Oakey caught every game. It's, like, it's, it's almost like Joe Torre was like managing Clemson for Monty Lee. Because like there's those two back-to-back years where Torre managed the Dodgers and Russell Martin played 150 games every year and <laughs> showed the results a couple of years later. That was Chris Oakey in college. And then you've also got uh, JJ the TJ Friedel. Friedel, which we have a Twitter question about him. Dennis Bennett asked, TJ Friedel, Brett Gardner or Lenny Dykstra? I think he's closer to Gardner, J.J., and I'm, I'm not even sure that that's the right comp for him um, because Gardner has some, some pop, too. But T.J. Friedel does see, you know, I think he's almost more of a Denard Span type to me, like a center fielder with plus defense who can be that leadoff guy and, uh, and get on base, but it's not going to have much power. Uh, but I think he can't be a regular, J.J. What do you think? I think he, there's a chance. I will take a little bit. I, I do think that right now, if you talk about in the overall prospect fan world, uh, prospect observer world, yeah. I think he's a little overheated I because the story agree. is so interesting that completely agree. This is he got the largest bonus anyone's ever gotten for a non-drafted free agent. It is crazy to say that there were at least teams out there. I don't, again, I have them on their board. There were teams who had them and said, no, we're not interested. And But there were many a team that did not have them on our board. Thanks to my uh, colleague here, John <laughs> Manuel. He was on the Baseball America board, I will point out. Uh, that, that has been one of the funniest things of the last year is just having people say, hey, how'd you have him on your board? <laughs> it's, it's like, like I, I checked the, the roster. <laughs> I checked the stats. I mean, and of course, the best part about it, uh, about the story is, Yes, I was doing this at about 2 in the morning, <laughs> the night bef- in a hotel room in Secaucus, waiting for the draft the next day. So it was late. It was late on the, uh, in the draft process. 
uh, that I was finishing up our Nevada State list. Hashtag JJ Love State list. I love State. So list. you get an assist. I don't know if it's a hockey assist. Or a real assist, but you get an assist because you were like, finish your state lists. I don't care how tired you are, state lists. So I love that now, part of it. Now, I will take you. <laughs> I'll take you behind the curtain for just yes. a minute, which is is that. So this happens. T.J. Friedel blows up at USA Baseball that summer, signs the largest deal for a non-drafted free agent, and what do I say immediately, John? I'm just ensured that I'll have state lists for the next ten years. And you're damn straight, you did. So, so I, I, I think we both think that. I think we both think the more but, reasonable is that TJ Friedel is a fourth outfielder who maybe plays. I mean, again, and I'll, if, I'll, you I'll, went, if you start, if you went to Brett Gardner, like again, I yeah. like the card to come some ways because Gardner ended up. I remember when when you ranked Gardner very high on the Yankees list. Never high enough to be honest. But with you. but when you yanked him, you at the time the blowback from again, you know, we we appreciate. The comments yeah. from this is you are our readers, the people who care about this. This is you know, yeah, you no, paying your subscriptions is what we is why we get to do what we do, and we want to do it. You know, that's why we do it for you guys. Right. You know, is this to enjoy this? And there is some argument and all goes, but the time it was, how do you have Brett Gardner this high? This guy doesn't have any power, he's not, you know, and he ended up having stretches where his power was way beyond yeah, what even forecast for what, what anyone would forecast. Again, the hit leading to power. But I think I really do think Friedel is more in the vein of, I think his upper echelon comp is Denard Span type of player. That's, that's the absolute ceiling. I think he's more in the Ben Revere, more in the Jared Dyson, more in the uh, Travis Jankowski. But the thing I, I think wonder, he's more in that vein of player. But the thing I wonder about with that is, is and he can really run. But he's not that level. But he's not. When you talk Gerard Dyson, you are right. talking. He's eight. not as athletic as Jared you are Dyson. talking. That is that is eight, and that is easy eight. I love Whereas TJ Fredell. Who is, has Jared Dyson this year? I forget. Who got uh, Mariners. I'm really gonna enjoy watching him. What will he do as an everyday player? Because he is very fun to watch play defense. The one thing I wonder is, is that I do feel like. With him, slide aside, and you know, but I feel like that he's a guy who it's really it's worked out well for him. He's a very valuable three hundred to four hundred, and I do. I think, agree. I think the Mariners will keep him to some extent to that, even with him being more of a regular. Yeah, I think that they're going to find their spots. You know, and let's be honest, it's Jerry Depoto. If you get into May and it's like, you know what, we so, want Gerard Dyson, but a little bit, a little bit less Gerard Dyson. Yeah, yeah. They will go out there and they will find. You know. They'll trade for somebody. Yes. Dennis Bennett also asked, and it might be Denis Bennett. It's D-E-N-I-S, like Denny Phipps for the former, former Reds prospect. Former Reds prospect. Tooled up prospect. One more question. Speaking of tooled up prospects, Aristides Aquino's tools scream. Why do some rank him so low? Exciting prospect. Let me start I can't explain with, why other, I can't right, explain what others do. Right, I can just explain we, we, what we, we do. That's what we, our answers to this generally are going to start with. If you want to know how someone else ranks them, ask, ask them. them. That's right. And the same way that <laughs> if you want to know how we rank them, don't ask someone, why did you rank this guy? Compared? Ask us, and we'll try to explain why we rank. That's all we can do. That's a great answer. But why we ranked him where we did is that if you go through the, the Reds farm system and you say position players, who are guys who are who have the chance to check to be the perfect profile player for their position. Mm -hmm. Nick Senzel is number one. Easy. Because you're talking about third baseman. No question. Who is going to give guy. you. But if you're talking about third baseman who's going to give you plus defense with plus hit, should be at least average, if not plus power. Yeah. Okay. Just, let's just compare real quick. Like Nick Senzel, like 
I don't understand how there's questions about how he's not the best college bat from last year's draft. Some people are ranked Corey Ray. Nick Senzel does those things in the dirt. Right. I mean, he's Kevin Newman the year before won the Cape Cod League batting title and all this stuff and was really heated up for the 2015 draft. Nick Senzel won the Cape MVP the next year, then went to the SEC and dominated this year, JG. He was the best player in the SEC for me, not Boomer and White. Sorry, Boomer. This guy was the best player in the SEC, and then he goes two overall, and he can play in the dirt. He can play second or third. I think he's going to be above average, if not plus defender at third base. And he has this really long track record arm. for hitting. Very accurate arm. The improved athleticism. I mean, I hope the Reds made the right call, put it that way. But the others that beyond that, Taylor Trammell, long way away. But upside. But upside where you can see, again, it depends on how the body developed. You can see him filling out and becoming prototypical corner outfielder. Mm-hmm. If he stays kind of slender and speedy, he's prototypical center fielder. He that can work be, either way. He could be like the better version, maybe less stolen bases, but like that, that Carl Crawford phylum of athletic left fielder where it's power and speed, maybe more speed than power, but it also maybe more power than speed. We just don't, we don't early know in his career. Too early to know. Right. But he could be but, a, a guy who is not the prototypical mashing left fielder, but could be a left fielder who still gives you a lot of all-around offense. And when you talk about athleticism, it's fun watching his high school football Yes, highlights. it is. And he rushed for... I will admit to watching that last a, spring and draft time. A, a bushel of yards. Yeah. But you go beyond those two, which were the top two players the Reds took last year. I think the clear answer for who's the next best profile guy, it's Aquino. Mm-hmm. And that's because Aquino is everything... When you are as a scout, I mean, again, you don't want to simplify it this much, but when scouts go to a game and you see him out there, it's like, that is exactly what big league right fielders look like. He's a get-off-the-bus guy. He gets off the bus and you're watching, you're like, oh, that's the guy I'm going to watch. He has the body, he checks all the boxes. arm, power, he has all that. It's always going to be about plate discipline and how... Approach. Approach and the swing, that fine balance between... Really punishing balls when they make when they give you a ball to punish, but not getting so big in the swing that you do that and you become a 220 hitter. That's that's the balance he's going to have to fight, and it has moved slowly for him. That right. if you want to have caution, it has been a matter of you saw it a couple of years ago in the Pioneer League, and then you're like, okay, this guy is a guy who really can break out. And then he went to Dayton and he wasn't ready, and right. he had to go back to the Pioneer League. And that's and that's the that's the. the the question is, you dominated Pioneer League like that. That's the Reds' advanced affiliate. Yes. They go AZL to Billings. Right. He should have been ready for full season ball, and he wasn't. That's why I just love the strides that he made in terms of he didn't walk a ton in the Florida State League, but he didn't strike out a lot. For a guy with his power and his tools, and then well and that, above average power for the Florida State League. And that, yeah, I was going to say, that year is very loud for yeah. the Florida State League. No question. And he also, if you look at his year, he, now, he had a stretch in, like, the middle of the season. Right after we did our midseason update, it was like the first... The midseason update was, like, the first week of his stretch. But he had a stretch in the middle of the season where he was absolutely insane, bonkers. You know, he could not... It was... Every game was a homer, it felt like, and all that. But that being said... As Bugs Bunny would say, wham, a homer. But, wham, but it was something where he got better and better. And... Um, yeah, June and July last year, he was pretty sick. Nine home runs in those two months, which is a lot. That'd be a good season. Nine home runs, nine doubles, 11, tri- 11 doubles, nine triples in those two months. Nine so, triples in two months is... Uh, that's know. a lot. I like triples. But 
But so, yeah, I, I think really what you look at him is his high risk but high reward. Yeah, and that's where it's reflected in the BA grades, JJ, where Jesse Winker is a 50 medium and Aquino is a 55 high. He's higher risk because Joey, Joey – uh, not Joey. Jesse, uh, Winker's, Jesse Winker's got Ash. the approach. He so has the approach. Base. He can spit on pitches that just missed the strike zone. He's going to draw walks. 397 on base last year in AAA. But J.J., he had this question coming out of the draft. Is this guy going to be a corner bat with a question for the power? He had he started answering these questions in the lower minor leagues. Answered him somewhat in AA. But he just doesn't Real have a profile corner power. Do you believe that when he's using the title lists in the big leagues, when the ball jumps and he gets in that ballpark, that it'll look for enough power to be an average big league regular? The concern I have is, is that I think it'll help, but he also has had a history of wrist injuries now. Right. That's, is, that's, that, is that going to keep him from being able to, you know, to do that? And I, I would say I think he's going to be a big leaguer. I think he's going to be a big league regular. I think he's going to be a big league regular that's not a particularly impact guy. He's more of a – he is kind of who he is. Like you, thing is high like, on base percentage, left fielder, if you get power from other positions, can be very valuable. But and The problem is that right now the Reds have placeholders in their outfield corners – who have a lot more power than him. Adam Duvall was a pretty good player last year. We'll right. see if he can do it again. But he was a pretty good player. I know he struck out 164 times. Other than that... He hit for power, and he played good defense in left field. The 297 on base, we'd like to see that yeah. better. But uh, Jesse Scott, Winker, without with one risk, could probably post better than 297 <laughs> on base. This is correct. But Scott Schebler is kind of a similar player to Adam Duvall, but he controls the strike zone a little bit better, and he's got left-handed power that Jesse, that Jesse Winker doesn't provide. So for now, I think, what are the chances that he plays even half the season in the big leagues? If those two guys are healthy. If those two guys are healthy, it's really kind of, he's going to have to play his way there. Yeah, he's going to have to make so much noise at Louisville that they can't ignore him. Right. And if he shows power in Louisville in the second try, that's because everything else is there. Right. You know, you're not going to get a great defender in left field, but that's fine. You're gonna hit. He's gonna hit for average. He's gonna get on base. It really all is about those three homers last year. Can we see fifteen to twenty? And that's it. He doesn't Not have to hit that. twenty. He doesn't have to hit twenty plus exactly. No. He's gonna give you a lot of other assets. He has other assets, but it's a power game, man. I mean, the reason, like Jason Stark wrote that article yesterday, that all these power guys are still out there. It's not because teams don't want power. It's because everybody hits for power these days, and the only players who only hit for power are no longer valued. Because shortstops hit for power, and second basemen hit for a lot of power, and center fielders hit for power, and catchers hit for power. That's why first basemen who only hit for power are no longer paid this excessive amount that they want to get. Um, a couple other questions, JJ, but one of them that we could wrap the podcast on this because you could go for 20 minutes. Roger Munter, longtime Giants fan, asked, so how does the Ariel Hernandez story happen? Why couldn't he make it out of the complex leagues in six years with the Giants? That's a fascinating question, and it's a fascinating answer. Which he's, he's like the most interesting player in this system. Not the best player, but he's the most interesting backstory in this system, even with T.J. Ferdell in it. And if you haven't, you know, if you search Ariel Hernandez, I'll probably tweet out the link with this podcast, but I did a rather lengthy story about Ariel Hernandez and kind of how he got to this point. Um, probably the longest story we've ever done on a, on a low-class A reliever. That's probably true. I, I can't think of who would be the other options in that case. But yeah, Nobody. not only especially a minor, a low class A, high class A. He was at high class A before that story. So a high class A reliever who uh, has already been minor league rule fived, um, now added to the forty man as well. But uh, 
but you, you, you look at all this and you say, okay, how did this happen? And really there's part of it is, is that you look at Ariel Hernandez's career numbers with the Giants and you see a guy who threw hard and had no clue where it was going to go. And then shows up, spring training, and had a little shoulder problems and the velo backed up. Well, when you've got a guy who is has very shaky, I mean, bottom of the scale, command and control, yep. and all of a sudden is not throwing as hard as he did before, you kind of say... Ah, oh, we can do better. I mean, there again, yeah. this is the point of the year. This is the sad part that very few people think of at this time of the year. We're in February now. They're getting ready for all these guys to go to spring training. And on the minor league side, a lot more guys go to spring training than leave spring That's training. Right. That's right. And that is part of this is, is that you always go into spring training knowing that there are guys who are going, their careers are going to be over. In his case, career wasn't over. But he went the indie ball route. Give credit to then uh, pitching coach uh, for the uh, travel team in the Frontier the Rays. League. Yeah, the, the homestead Frontier Rays. Rays right? Billy Billy Brick, um, son of a longtime son of Bill. scout, Bill Brick. Oh, my sweet Brick. Billy's now Sorry. a coach with the uh, pitching coach in the uh, Mets system. But they kind of worked it out, got his velo back, got a little bit better control and command to go with it. And of course, the Diamondbacks are going to sign him because they scout indie ball like no one's business. Right, and so the Diamondbacks. Like Chris Yes, yeah, Chris Carmanucci and the Diamondbacks sign him, and by the way, you know, and Billy, you know, Bill Brick too. So that's they, right. You know, they, so they sign him, and um, and to be honest, this is one of those situations where I know no other way to say it, but they, the Diamondbacks in some ways didn't know what they had right. in that he was the first pick in the minor league rule five draft. Understandably, you say. Yeah, this guy who bounced around and had yet to pitch in full season ball, you leave that guy unprotected. But do he was remember. He's 23 years old and hadn't gotten to full season ball. But do remember, this isn't that he was left unprotected on the 40 man. This is that he wasn't placed on the AAA roster. Right. Which every team out there who had a report on him looks at it and says, that fastball is a potential 80. And that breaking ball, let's be, let's, be, let's be charitable and say it's a 60. You know, maybe we, it's $12,000, let's, let's take a gamble. Yeah. Credit to the Reds, they do it. And here we are. I mean, he had to be out of the 40-man because they knew. I mean, they knew. If you did not put him on the 40-man, he was being taken by someone, even though he basically has yet to show what he can do at AA. And he's got a 6.6 .6 walk per nine for his career. And even last year in his good year, it was 5.7 at 2.8. There's a lot stops. of risk involved. However. But. There's a but. There's a but, which is is that you could you can find guys who've put an 80 on his fastball, and you can find guys who put an 80 on the breaking ball. And there are the number of players in baseball for whom you could say that about could probably fit on two hands. Yeah, it's a small number, and he has got... Just watching the video of this guy. His, his, I need to still. I had problems with the. I need to still post that because I, I had problems getting it to. I got to switch it to another machine because mine won't do it. Who's the older player that he? It's a. I forget. It's a player that we recognize where the swings are just so futile. In it's the. It's a, the Dodgers. Uh, Davis, the third baseman. Oh, Brendan Davis. Brendan Davis. Who's a dude? Who's a legit He's prospect? A dude. And there is, there Blake is back to back high. breaking balls where the first one it's like kind of ducking out of the way strike. And he kind of gets out of the batter's box and kind of shakes his head like, 
How am I supposed to do anything with that other than just watch it? Yeah. And then he does it again, strike three. I mean, it is, he is, that again, it's not, as this is a guy who will touch 100, but it's not the fastball that anyone talks about. The breaking ball. He calls it a curveball. I call it a curveball because it goes downward. I understand the velocity he throws it at. You hear other guys call it a slider because this is not, when we say curveball, think what we're talking about here is think Lance McCullers curveball. We're think think power. That's right. Think, you know, 88, 89, 90 at times. I mean, that kind of with, but late break, downward, and when those two pitches are on, he's throwing strikes, which has not happened yet. And let's be fair, there's a chance it never will. But, you give a guy like that, he just went on the 40-man, they still have three years for him to, before he runs out of options to figure that out. And he's going to be going to double-A. Uh, again, you're talking about with him and Jimmy Herget, they have a couple of very, very interesting relievers who will be in the upper minors this year. And, J.J., they've got, you know, they've got interesting arms. I mean, you ranked Cody Reed high, you ranked uh, Amir Garrett high. Um, you know, it really is going to – they really do have volume – of arms. I mean, we should probably should wrap up, but I mean, like, it feels like they've got upper minors arms and then they have some volume arms and they keep on adding arms uh, from international we, sources. You know, and then, you know, they also made the trade. You know, we. Uh, right, Luis Castillo from the Marlins and the and uh, the Dan Straley trade. Where, where would uh, Luis Castillo slot in? I believe he's a 50 high in the book. That probably puts him. Uh, you probably know, somewhere around uh, 10 or 11. I was about to say, right at the back of the top 10. Right at the back of the top 10. Our 10 is Tyler Stevenson, 55 Extreme. I would probably put him behind that, and the right, but it's right there. Um, and again, Luis Castillo is another guy who, if you if you put me under the bright lights and in interrogation, I'm probably saying he ends up as a reliever. But I'd, I'd probably put him behind Tyler Maley, even to be honest with you. I really yeah, like no, Maley. I like Maley. You're right. I probably would too. Tony Santion is the same kind of guy as him in some ways, but the difference being that give I'll give it to the guy who's uh, both, both do throw a hundo. Both, both throw a hundo. Santion is moving a lot quicker than the Luis Castillo uh, right. career path has. So I, I would I probably can't des- I can't decide Maley or Castillo. Back, going back and forth on that one. That's I mean, a tough one. But, the Florida the State thing, League, Castillo was kind of louder with the stuff, but you know, Tyler Maley got the double A, and was minutes. good. Yeah, exactly. He was good there. So, but I, I do think when you talk about the volume, the other thing is is that they have volume still, and this is a year after they did promote some guys. I mean, right. you know, again, Di Sclafini is years away from free agency. Um, Brandon Finnegan, Michael Lorenzen, uh, Rafael Iglesias. They brought up a lot of young arms Absolutely. last year. And then there's still a lot of young arms here. That's the good. The, 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 the tough part for them is, is we've talked about, we're in National League Central right now. In the National League Central, I cannot forecast you a time where I say, this Reds team should be better than the Cubs. <laughs> that's right, unfortunately. That's not, I mean, that's just the reality is the Cubs have an outstanding big league club that's young, that's cost-controlled, and, oh, yeah, by the way, they could probably spend an extra, what, $50, $75 million more than the Reds can? The other thing is, I'm not going to give the, the, the store away, but organization talent rankings, there are four farm systems in the National League Central that are in our top 15. The Reds are one of them, but the only one that isn't in our top 15 is the Cubs, and that's because they have by far, what, they win the division by 16 games? Yeah. They have by far the best big league roster, and it's a young roster. 
So the other Chris Frisco Bryant is not hitting free. By the way, do remember these minor things that remember the giant uh, hullabaloo or whatever you want to call yeah, it, holding him back for a week. holding him back for a week. Yeah. Which at the time we said like I mean, I, I remember talking about yes they would be absolutely idiots not to do this. They get an extra year of Chris Bryant. Yes. yes Before free agency. That's about as good as anything you can get. That's the way to get it done. I mean, and it didn't cost them. They won 97 games that year. Oh, and yeah. set up the, for the next year to... Uh, oh, that was the thing. It's like, well, they, well, they well, without gonna, a week of Chris Bryant, will that be the difference between... No. I mean, like, they finished three games behind the and Cardinals. It, and did it really matter? No. They didn't win the play. They didn't win in 2015, but they won in 2016. And their chances for winning in 2020 or 21 or whatever are better. And again, is there any scenario where you would say... I don't want one more full year of Chris Bryant at his peak. I want one week of rookie Chris Bryant. That's the good. That's just. But I will say, Nick Senzel. We look at the. You look at how quickly the top college bats. And right now, lately, it's been just because of how the quirk of it is. Is it's been top college SEC bats because it was Benatendi and Bregman right. and Swanson and all these guys. You look at how quickly those move. Not just, though, because Conforto moved very quick. Schwarber moved very quick yeah. as well. The top college bats nowadays, it is something where it is realistic to say that by the end of their first full season, they're in the big leagues. In Swanson's case, I think he may be there, be ready. I don't know if I'm the Reds, why, why I would bring him up yet. Right. That's the real question is you probably need that extra year of control on Nick Senzo. Schwarber? Conforto, you know, Bregman. Bregman, Benintendi all came up because the question there was being asked was, can they help our contending team? Right. And the right. answer was yes. The only exception that was Swanson, and that really was, we need to be a little better just to give us momentum going into our new ballpark, and he did that. And that's generally any of the guys that you look historically, like Troy Gloss was the third overall pick in 1997. He came up in 1998 in his first full year, and the Angels were contending. They were second in that division that year. So all the guys that you look back at, the guys who really rocked into the major leagues, um, A, there's a lot of stars. B, it's usually for contending teams they get there that quickly. Well, the, the reality so that... slowing things down, like even if Senzel has a great year this year, I wouldn't expect to see him in the big leagues until the second or third week of 2018. I, I kind of fit with you on that kind of thing, a lot of the same things. The thing I'll say is, is that if it – but at the flip side, if there's no injury involved, and we're talking about Nick Senzel this time last year, next year, and we're saying, you know, I didn't expect him to spend a whole year in high A, that'll be a bad sign. That'll be a bad sign. But you know, I don't expect you, that to happen. I believe Eugenio Suarez still their third baseman, correct? I mean, yes. I, th th yes. that's a perfectly cromulent, uh, you know, uh, placeholder for the Cincinnati Reds. I, I really do think of him being much like like Luis Valbuena has kind of developed this role as being the third baseman. This is the right-handed version. On rebuilding teams who he sticks around, and then just as the teams really peak, it's like, we're going to move on. Yeah, exactly. He did it with the Cubs. Had a good, you know, was good with the Cubs. I mean, again, was perfectly serviceable. And then they said, you know what? We've got this guy coming up. We're, we're so, good. And then he went to the Astros. Now he's going to the Angels, which yep. are not in a, they're in a little different life cycle of things, but you know, but, but he, Eugenio he, Suarez could be that guy with the Reds. I agree. I, I do think the Reds, position player wise, are in good shape to be good soon. You know, this is the last year of the of the Brandon Phillips contract. 
Uh, I know the Brennemans will give him a fine farewell um, because they love him. Um, but I think they are positioned to be good soon, but will it be good enough? That's that To me, that's the real question. I, I think they've done a decent job with their rebuild, tank and rebuild, but to beat the Cubs and to a lesser extent the Cardinals and the Pirates. And the you, Brewers and the, are coming up too. Right, and then we're going to talk about them in the next podcast. But to beat those teams, you've got to be – you can't just be good enough. You've got to be really eight, that's eight, that, again, 90 wins is not enough. You flip it. If you're sitting in the AL Central, and the AL Central, the teams from the AL Central, again, I keep talking about it, that's your that's your AL World Series team each of the last three years Yes, is AL Central. That being said, when you're in the AL Central and you're in the AL, the reality of it is, is that there's been multiple years lately where it's like, okay, you can get to that second wild card, and right, be hovering around ninety. Now, in twenty fourteen, the the Cardinals won the division with ninety wins, but the other years, 13, 15, 16, the winners of this division, and even twenty twelve when the Reds won it, it's ninety seven wins or better. Even in twenty eleven, the Brewers were ninety six wins. In general, this division contends for it. If it usually is the best division in baseball, and you're looking at model franchises. If you're like, if you're saying. Top five model franchises in baseball. I understand what just happened with the ground control and the hacking scandal. Outside of that, it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big matzo ball. <laughs> Other than that, it's a pretty big chest ball. wound, you know. But yes, yeah. but the Cardinals and the Cubs are in the clutch of model franchises, and that's what the Reds are contending with. That's what the Pirates are contending with that we just talked and about the, the other day. Is, is that's that, what the Brewers are contending with, which will be our next podcast. And again, they, they, I do see interesting parallels between the Pirates and Reds. The Pirates are kind of sitting now, right now, where the Reds were in 2014 and they're hoping that they're not in 20 the reds 2014 they're hoping that this window is a lot longer but the problem that the pirates and reds have in comparison to the cardinals and cubs especially in comparison to the cubs now yeah. who are a money-making machine now yes. is that they have very small margin of error and with the reds that margin of error was eaten up by injuries and it was eaten up by uh, a the reality of this is going for it when they didn't have the talent to mm-hmm. get there you now look at it and you say, okay, they've retooled from that, but it is it is a very high-rent division. That's right. Absolutely. This is not a division where if you're a lesser revenue team, you can make a mistake here and a mistake there and a mistake there and still get there. So when you make a mistake with a Brandon Phillips contract, it's very hard to dig out from under that. When you make a mistake with a trade or you make a mistake with – you know, making the with the wrong guy, it's harder to dig out of it. They just have less margin for error because of their payroll, and they have less margin for error because of their neighbors. And again, the other thing to remember with that is is that the Joey Votto contract was designed; it was backloaded because they wanted to make sure yeah. that they had the money to attempt to contend. Right now, last year, last 2015, year, the year, that's right. The backloading's over. This is like 25. Look it up if you would, but it's like 25, 25, 25. Oh, I think it's higher than that. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought I think we were, it gets to 27.5. Yeah, for some reason I thought we were getting close to 30. But no, it's uh, it's $25 million annually now through 2023. And it was $22 million for 2017. So $22 just, now, 25 annually for the next six years. After just that. think that through. Again, when you talk about like at some point. Oof. At some point. I don't know how they again. Unless, That's according to Cots baseball contracts. By unless the way. credit to, to unless Cots. the revenues come to the point where everyone is paying two hundred and fifty million in salaries or something like that, 
I do not know how the Reds eventually survive that. I really don't. Because, again, even if they're having a $150 million contract, at some point you are going to be devoting literally a sixth of your payroll <laughs> to, a first, yeah. to a first baseman who, and who again, one He's of the great awesome. first baseman of all time. We're watching Albert Pujols at this point. And to credit to Albert Pujols, Albert Pujols did not fall off a cliff right. where you're going, huh, how do I even put this guy in the lineup? But you get to a point where you're saying, we're paying $25 million, and if we didn't have him here, we could be paying someone else six to do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, but let's all be honest. There are Blue Jays circling overhead at Great American Ballpark. And they are watching every move because they want to bring Toronto's own home to Toronto. And, that, and, that, and again, with his no trade, that, that would you know, do I want to go to Canada? Maybe I'd be interested in that. Here, here's Brandon the, Phillips has made clear, no, 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 yeah, I yeah. am in. I am staying. Re, in reunite me with Dusty Baker? No, that's not you know like. I don't even want to go to Atlanta. I'm happy home from here. Atlanta, hometown. No, I'm here. Just just for one more piece of perspective, Miguel Cabrera has a 155 OPS plus for his career. Joey Votto's is 157. Just for a little perspective. Now, he has entered a, a decline phase, and really, Miguel, Miguel Cabrera Cabrera's. has, because two of his last three years are 157 and 150. Uh, with, I mean, you know, <laughs> the 190 peak year wasn't even his triple crown. Well, no, it was his triple crown year. I mean, no, it wasn't his triple crown year. It was triple crown slash year, and a traditional triple crown year. So he's down from that peak a bit at a 157 OPS plus last year, but that's how good Joey Votto is. So just for a little perspective... Joey Votto's stinking good, and he still may not be there. They may not be able to afford to have him there when they're good again, JJ, because I'm just telling you the Blue Jays are circling overhead. They, they're they like vultures. This they, is unfortunately not a Facebook Live, so you can't see that he John you can't is see actually... The birds. That's he, right. he has animated birds flying over his head. I'm playing the role of Bruce Cottle today to bring him back to one more uh, Bengals reference. So Good stuff, JJ. I had fun talking Reds. I, I was actually not looking forward to talking Reds. I was afraid I was going to just go too negative on the trades, but this was fun. I like their players. I like Nick Senzel. I love talking about Ariel. Ariel. I love hearing you talk about Ariel Hernandez. So bring those questions in. We will wrap up with the Brewers. No, not next. wrapping. Have we not? Well, the Central. We've done the Pirates, haven't we? We've done the Pirates. We've done the Pirates. We have not done the Cardinals. Oh, it's the Brewers and the Cardinals. We still have Brewers and Cardinals next. I want to do Brewers next, and then we'll do Cardinals next week. But enjoy this. That's right. So we'll probably have to double up one or two next week. Because the uh, top 100 is for next Friday, and we'll have a podcast with that yeah, as well. We do want to probably that is good for us to finish to have the last team done. We've got we have seven teams to do. You may get you may get a double pod one day. You might even get a double pod today for the weekend. Yeah, to be, to be uh, that, that's probably a we may quite we frankly, may just stay here and once we get the directory done and just keep knocking these out. Well, we're going to keep on reading this and reminding you that uh, the Baseball America podcast is brought to you and sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off the field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% off. So for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.